Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, better, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance, I left my executive role to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the boardroom, and the marketplace. Now the CEO of Live Media, I am thrilled to create wellness-based content and technologies to help you level up and become more conscious of your ripple. The Live app launched Christmas Day for Apple iOS. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a beautiful place for us to share our gold, our dreams, and create community. Gold is a Live Media production brought to you from the sound studio at the Live headquarters. Alyssa Mankow believes there is such a thing as healthy narcissism, but the pathological and narcissistic personality disorders are where the darker issues lie. In this conversation, Alyssa shares the clinical definitions of narcissism, gaslighting, and what it means to walk on eggshells. She offers advice for those who love a narcissist, how to protect your heart, and how to leave them. Alyssa is a psychotherapist in private practice located in Sherman Oaks, California. She received her bachelor's degree at Cal Poly State and her master's in social work at the University of Southern California. She's provided clinical treatment with the Child and Adolescent Psychiatric Clinic at Harbor UCLA, with the Child and Family Guidance Center, and as an independent licensed contractor with Counseling for Kids. She has experience providing nine years of therapy in the outpatient and residential setting. Her professional experience also includes providing supervision for mental health professionals in the individual and group setting. Currently, in Alyssa's private practice, she treats anxiety, depression, and trauma using a combination of cognitive behavior therapy and inner child healing. Let's dig in. Welcome to Gold. This is Jeanette Schneider, and I'm so excited to have with me today Alyssa Menkow. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to talk to you because I have a, we have a topic today that has come up in a lot of my conversations. And it's, it's so interesting because I feel sometimes that certain words are u- used almost in like pop culture as catch-alls and not necessarily because someone's received a diagnosis, but because we like to diagnose our friends and the people that we've either been in love with or are currently in love with. And so I wanted to talk to you because of the fact that you've, you've written about this. This is something that you cover in your practice. Um, I want to talk about narcissism. And um, I've had so many people reach out to me and say, can you provide some context or content so that we understand um, how to support one another when it comes to dealing with someone with narcissistic personality disorder and what the difference is between that and someone who um, might just be self-absorbed? Because I think sometimes we like to like throw bucket catch-all phrases at people. And I was curious from your perspective, if you would be able to kind of help set the stage for us as to the difference between, and then maybe we could dig in a little bit to what someone could expect to see um, if they're actually dealing with someone in their life who has this as a disorder. Sure. So let's start off by talking about what narcissism is, right? So what narcissism is, is like a grandiose sense of self. It's this kind of like exploitative behavior where you lack empathy and you take advantage of people and you're really only concerned about yourself, right? So that's kind of like the narcissism that we hear in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what, what we also have is we also have healthy narcissism. And I know that's kind of like weird to hear because every time somebody hears the word narcissism, it's attached to something incredibly negative. But what healthy narcissism is, is this ability to kind of take pleasure in your joys, to want to share what you've done, 
with your friends. It's the ability to be able to believe in yourself. It's the ability to be able to be proud of what you've done, right? I think everybody has to have a certain level of healthy narcissism to be able to engage in public speaking, to be able to um, teach a subject, to be able to go out in public and be the center of attention. But then we have something called pathological narcissism, which enters the realm of narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, these are the people who take the traits from the first example, but then they are those behaviors ongoingly. This is who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they they frequently like to be in the center of attention. They need to be in the center of attention, and they will do anything they can to make things about themselves, and this includes um, hurting the people they love or are supposed to love. This includes lying to the people closest to them, and this includes exploiting others for personal gain. So the difference between healthy narcissism and pathological narcissism is in healthy narcissism, it's a momentary thing, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can go in public and you can speak and feel like, wow, what the things I'm saying are really good. I'm really proud of myself. And then you step off the podium and you're kind of back to reality. You're like, wow, that was great. And then you can make things about other people and you can be there for other people. That's healthy narcissism. But then with pathological narcissism, there is an inability to stop. It, it is never about other people, and it is always about that one person. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I'm curious because this has been a debate that I've heard with a lot of folks mm-hmm. in kind of the personal development space. Do you think yeah. that pathological narcissism or uh, personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, are is that an issue with, is that brain chemistry? Is it learned because of trauma? What is the trigger to heading down that road when you're talking about the the, the more complicated, complex, and, and darker version of narcissism? Is it is it something that has to do with our brain chemistry, or is it something that we have created in order to survive? I'm going to actually go with, this is a really good question. I'm going to go with the latter explanation. This is something that people, human beings have created in order to survive. Oftentimes, we'll see that people with true narcissistic clinical personality disorder have a severe and complex childhood history of trauma. Mm. Um, right. And so, you know, what we see is they lived in an environment that was neglectful, um, non-affirming, and, and really just overall abusive, whether mental, emotional, or physical. And so in order for them to shut down parts of themselves, right, they had to develop this coping mechanism and they had to believe somehow this is, you know, narcissism really develops in an effort to, um, to not feel weak again, mm-hmm. not feel like they can get taken advantage of again. So it's a, it's a mask that gets put on, but then it is, it is to the extreme, and it is developed as a survival mechanism in order to not get hurt again and to really limit their vulnerability around people. So, you know, you can see kind of narcissistic tendencies in elementary school, junior high school, but right after um, high school, it really becomes solidified into like a person's personality. Yeah. And I know that like we, we, we joke around that children are primarily narcissistic in, in nature because they yeah. kind of think that the world you know revolves around them and they take a lot of responsibility for what happens in the world, thinking that um, uh, divorce is their fault, uh, struggles are their fault. They, they, they really view that. But then as they get older, eight, nine, 10, they start to actually see that they're kind of interwoven and interconnected with the world around them. And it's not necessarily so much about them. So it sounds like those, those kids who are in more trauma, traumatic family situations have a tendency to kind of, uh, this becomes just who they are. They're kind of rewiring themselves in order to survive. And do narcissists recognize that they're narcissists? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, and I know a lot of people, so I want to kind of backtrack a, a little bit. I know a lot of people, especially those who have been in narcissistic relationships, right? They want to, it's usually people that want to know that answer. Mm-hmm. And, and part of me wonders why, why that answer matters. And for some people, it's because maybe if they know that they'll change, then they'll change. The, the truth to that is the likelihood of a narcissistic person changing is very, very low. A narcissistic person may not know or agree exactly that they themselves are a narcissist. But they do know that the behaviors that they're doing, they are aware that the behaviors they are doing are harmful. Mm, got they're it. aware of it. They're aware of it. And it's okay with them. Yeah. So they're not, they're not really worried about a diagnosis or like, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm hurting other people. It's more like yeah. I'm surviving. So they're kind of on their own. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's completely okay. So I want to talk about a little bit about like psychology for a moment. So there's two words in psychology. There's egosyntonic and there's egodystonic. Egodystonic is when you have behaviors and beliefs and symptoms that don't align with you and they don't align with who you are, right? So depression would be considered egodystonic. Um, people who are depressed often don't like that they can't get out of bed. They don't like that they, they feel really sad. They don't like that they think critically all the time. So that's something they want to change about themselves. It, it's just not part of who they are. It's not part of what they want to be. Then there's egosyntonic, which is where your behaviors, your values, and how you treat others aligns with who you are and how you think things should be. So with people who with personality disorders like narcissism, it's egocentric. They see no problem with it whatsoever. So, so even though they know that they're hurting people, it doesn't bother them. They know that their friendships are crumbling around them. It doesn't bother them. So it's egocentric. There is no discrepancy between how they're acting and how they feel they should act. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I remember talking to a therapist one time I was ending a relationship and, um, I, I basically was like, help me understand how to correctly yeah. end this relationship. Yeah. Um, because uh-huh. I was like, my logic does not work in this situation. Right. Yeah. And you're, uh-huh. you're spending all this time and energy trying to bring this person into your purview so that they're like, Oh, wow. Like right. if I change some of these behaviors, this person will stay in my life. And it was kind of like, you have to change and accept that this is who I am or not. And one of the things that the therapist said to me, and I'd love your thoughts on this, was um, there is always a quest for reaction, right? So it's best for you and your mental health if you provide none. You remain very even keel when you're in these kind of power struggles with someone that you know has narcissism um, as a as like a, a deeply embedded trait. It's, it's best to not try to engage in arguments of logic. It's best to just kind of understand that um, this is how it is and you either accept this reality or you um, you have to, to leave. I'm curious like what your thoughts are on that when you're dealing with someone who's trying to understand how to live with or leave someone with nar- narcissism who has tried really hard to make it work and their, their arguments are falling on deaf ears. Like what, what are your thoughts as far as, as that advice? I think that your therapist was 100% spot on mm-hmm. the, the advice that she gave you is actually, I think the, the advice that most therapists would give, right? If, if you're noticing that the argument is frequently falling on deaf ears and you're engaging in circular conversations and nothing is ever resolved. And then this kind of happens over and over again. The reality of it is, is the relationship is a trauma bond. And mm-hmm. you really have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself, can I do this for the, because acceptance looks like asking yourself and being very honest, can I do this for the rest of my life? Can I do this for the rest of my life and be at peace with it? 
um, most of the time, if people are truly honest with themselves, the answer is no, they don't want to. And so there has to be a level of acceptance like that this is who this person is. Through and through and through, no amount of love is going to heal this mm. person's narcissistic personality disorder. And I think that's, you know, when people are involved in narcissistic relationships, they kind of fall into the trap about learning more and more and more and more about narcissism because mm-hmm. there's almost this supposed like the more I learn about it, the more I can beat it, like a game of chess. Right. You know? And then they start to tell the partner, you're gaslighting me and you're this and you're this. But at the end of the day, it's not going to change that person and their way of survival. It's now a sad it's dance. Yeah. Uh, what was that? It, it's a sad dance. Like if you think about it's it, because sad, yeah. yeah. When you said what you did about your trauma bonded, I was like, Oh my gosh, like yeah. that hit me like a ton of bricks because yeah. Yeah. you were <laughs> even creating your own trauma within self, trying to rectify it in your mind and mm-hmm. trying to, um, read all the books about it and understand how to deal with it and how to, mm-hmm. and, and I think that there has to be a moment of realization that this is, this is reality. And there probably has to be almost like a, a grieving um, because at the point time, you've mm-hmm. entered this relationship thinking like, this is the person I want to be with this person, whether or not or you've gotten married, like you've created an entire world with them aside from who who you are in relation, right? There's like this, this kind of dream or image or vision of what your relationship will look like together. So once you start to realize like I'm locked in this cycle, this is unhealthy. It's becoming a toxic relationship. That person's not going to change. And this is one of the other things I had to realize was that, um, this person loves me to the best of their ability, but their love for me will not overcome this. And so now I have to love myself enough to walk away and grieve what I thought I was going to have and be sad about it, but also recognize it's not that they didn't choose me. It's not that they couldn't, they, their love yes. for me big enough. It was that they aren't capable of the type of love that I require. Yes. It is not personal. Mm-hmm. It is not personal. And I think oftentimes people will also step out of the relationship. You said grieving and grieving is beautiful because you're, you're grieving the person you thought you knew. Yes. And you're accepting the reality of who you are. And you're also grieving yourself. You're also grieving yourself. And, and I think um, the time that was spent and all the hope that you've now kind of put down, because oftentimes I'll hear women say things like, you know, I can't believe I did that for so long. Kind of once they step into this acceptance of reality, there's a grief of just um, the younger versions of themselves that allowed themselves to go through those, um, those experiences. So there is a lot of grief. There's a lot of grief, just grieving the reality you once had of that person and of the relationship. Well, and talk to me a little bit about the inner child, because I think that there's in the trauma bonding in this, this cycle, right? Um, I recognized I was calling in, um, narcissists on a regular basis because I was raised Uh by a narcissist. My mom is a narcissist. Uh So I, I didn't realize this till much later. I'm like, there is a pattern here in, in the relationships where like, I'm trying to fix, I'm, and I I get to the point or had gotten to the point to where I would say the harshest, meanest things I possibly could, because I needed them all of a sudden to wake up and and hurt. Right. Because I tried the sweet words. I tried the, here are all the ways we can work together. Here's the 
we can go to together. Here's yeah. the way I show you I love you. And then I started just being mean because I was like, well, maybe if I say something that hurts them or I threaten them, they'll suddenly see how serious this is. And it never worked. And then I was like, okay, I've done this like three times over with friendships, my mom, and, and now in romantic relationships. So what's happening? So what is it about the inner child that either needs to be healed or needs to be aware of the fact that maybe your pattern is to look for these people who can't love you? Perfectly. You know, for those who don't know, our inner child are the subconscious parts of our personality that hold all of the memories, both remembered and unremembered of our younger experiences. It holds all of our pain, our hopes, our dreams. It, it, it's just like the younger version of ourselves that we really need to nurture on a constant basis. And oftentimes, if, those, if, if our younger selves, our inner child, if their needs weren't met, what we'll find is we'll often try to replicate those experiences in our adult lives. And it doesn't have to be romantic relationships. I like that you said with friendships because um, trauma bonds can absolutely exist in a friendship too. Trauma bonds can even exist in um, work relationships. So our younger self does gravitate to what feels familiar. Today, Gold is brought to you by Live Media and the Live Pocket Coach, available on the Apple App Store now. Not only is Live Like a Life Coach in your pocket, but we have coaches in 3D as well. With our most recent upgrade, you can sign up for one-on-one -on -one coaching with a person on the phone who will hold you down, hold you accountable, and offer you perspective as you build your big, bad, beautiful new life. Apple users can sign up for our Premium Plus plan through the app or check out our next level and mastery options at loveisviral.com forward slash coaching. Android users, we haven't forgotten about you. Live Coaching is available to you as well. Just reach out to us at dearlive at loveisviral.com and we'll fill you in on all the ways Live can create with you. Live Pocket Coach, welcome to your life. And it, and it does that. And oftentimes it does that in an effort to try to recreate the same relationship, but have a different ending. Because you want that person to love you differently than, than the, the ones before. Yeah. You want them to love you. You want them to validate you. You want them to reassure you. And so it's that younger self seeking that reassurance, that seeking that reassurance that it never got when it was young, when it was little. So I think it, it, what it sounds like is like if you're in a relationship with someone who has these traits and it isn't just that they're confident and maybe a little cocky, but that they're actually <laughs> displaying these, these traits and you're finding yourself, like you said, the circular conversations, things coming back to yeah. you, nothing being sensical, feeling like you're crazy, um, mm -hmm. feeling like you're weak. Gaslighting. Yeah, well, yeah. and I, I, I recognize uh -huh. a lot of that and like you feel like you're sickly or weak or not very smart and yeah. you should if you're in a relationship where all of a sudden you're like, I'm a terrible person, <laughs> you're kind of like, okay, like, let me take a step back and realize what's actually happening here. But it sounds like in order to unwind yourself from it, before you go into this crazy, like, I need to understand everything about it because I'm going to fix this because our love is bigger than yeah. that. You need to actually yeah. do some work on yourself. 100%. What do you think yeah. the first step is? The first step is, so the first step when you're dating somebody who's narcissistic or in a relationship with somebody with narcissism. Yeah. What, right? what do you think? Okay. So once you realize that, what do you, what do you do to help yourself prepare for the cutting of that cord? You have to learn how to be there for yourself. And you have to learn who you are outside of the role of helping others. Oftentimes, the people who are in relationships with narcissistic people are people who have so much empathy and are people that are 
so loving and are people that like always want to help others and they're very caring. Right. And, um, and oftentimes people who are in relationships with narcissistic people, even though they're aware that their partner might be narcissistic, they have so much empathy for what their partner went through that made them that way that they stay because they feel Mm. so bad for them. Right. So so I think it's so important that you recognize that strength in in yourself, that you're an empathetic person, that you're a loving person, that you're a helpful person. And then you learn to turn, turn those feelings towards yourself. So all of that energy and all of that love and all of that healing that you're trying to give to another person, you practice giving those things to yourself. So you can start that by identifying mantras that work for you, repeating affirmations, or ending a relationship with a narcissistic person. More times than not, your self-esteem is going to be lower than it was when you first started dating them. And that's sure. because narcissistic people do a really good job of cutting down your self-esteem to make you feel like they're the best that you can get. And that's how they get you in the trauma bond. So you have to also do things that are going to help you improve your self-esteem. So that's reestablishing their friendships again. Oftentimes people in narcissistic relationships will lose their friends because a narcissist will either isolate you from your friends or your friends will say, I can't watch you be in this relationship anymore. I have to go. Yeah. So you have to reconnect with, you have to reconnect with either old friends or you have to reconnect with new friends. You have to discover who you were before the relationship and discover the things that you like. Um, the journey to ending a narcissistic relationship is learning who you are as a person all over again. So one that of the takes things, a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that I thought was incredibly helpful for me when I was ending my, my relationship yeah. um, was to, there would be times where I would be pulled back into an old fight or an old argument and it would become circular uh-huh. and very angry and uh, there were consequences for my behavior. I always had consequences. If I didn't do what he mm-hmm. wanted, I would have consequences. And for some reason, in my very weakened state, I thought that that was legit. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, yeah, that, and I would have a really good friend <laughs> that I could reach out to and be like, da, 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 da. and they would be like, all right, let's think about that. He can't actually do that. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Like you are more powerful than him. Go to this person's house, get away from him, go like take a bath. And, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, he doesn't get to give me consequences. Right. So you almost have to kind of like, I'm going to be in this really crazy circular state where I'm really anxious and worried that I'm in trouble for a period of however long. And then I had to pull myself out of that. Right. And recognize mm-hmm. when it's coming so that you're not taking it as, as seriously, because I think you, you almost have to build yourself back up again to a place yeah. where you recognize like, okay, that doesn't even make sense. And then over time, you know, hopefully you can completely extricate them from your life. But sometimes when it's a family member or, or what have you, that's a little bit more complicated. Um, it's a, it's about recognizing how you interact with them in the future and having the the confidence in the, and the, I think self, it's almost like you have to have kind of like this very boundary, very confident, very grounded, um, awareness of self before you can yeah. engage with them again. And then they look small, <laughs> which is like, one yes, of the, they do. like, I see you, you're small, you're sad. You have a lot of darkness yeah. inside of you. Yes, exactly. And th- that's what happens though, because of them feeling small and sad and all that darkness. And because of this coping mechanism that they developed during childhood, instead of them feeling it, everything they're doing is an effort to have you feel what they're feeling on the inside. It's all projection. It is all projection. And it's, and if you're not aware, and most people are largely unaware because, you know, love gets in the way it happens, they start to believe the things that are projected onto them. They believe 
I'm the one that's small. I'm the one that's bad. I'm the one that's dark, right? But you really can't, you really have to be aware of what they're projecting onto you. Absolutely. What would you say? I, I know that there have been several women in my life who've, who've reached out or said that they're afraid of their, um, their spouse and they, they want to leave, but it's a very complex thing and there's lots of threats and especially when there's children involved. Um, what advice would you give to someone who's like, I need to leave, but I'm really scared about the next steps. Cause I think that's, that's a very honest, like a way of looking at a woman who's getting ready to leave a narcissist, especially if they've been married or there's kids involved or financial support. Um, it's almost like, I don't want to do what I have to do next. Um, what advice would you give to them? Probably have them write down a list of what their fears are, whether it's financial, whether it's threats from them, just to kind of get out in the open, process those fears with a friend. Um, and then I would also recommend that they really, really practice boosting that self-confidence too, because whatever their fears are, they can get through it. Mm-hmm. Right? So fear comes from an apprehension that something bad is going to happen. I'm not going to be able to get through it. The reality of it is, they can get through it and they will get through it. Um, and then really, you know, because they were in a relationship with a narcissistic person for so long, they might've entered this dance, this dance of arguing, this dance of trying to prove their point, this dance of wanting to feel justified in their feelings. And they have to learn to get out of that dance. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best, one of the best things that help for women who are leaving marriages with narcissistic people Number one, get a support system if you can. Number two, learn to go no contact or to limit contact as much as possible. They're going to try to gaslight you. They might even try to love bomb you. They're going to make you feel crazy. Don't engage. You don't have to engage. You just read it and you release it. Because it's those behaviors that are going to draw you back in and create a lot of fear. Absolutely. It's so interesting because I think once you get some perspective and some distance, that's one thing. But like I said, with, you know, the the advice I was given was you have absolutely no emotions when it deal, when you're dealing with this person, you are a piece of cardboard. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you give nothing, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, whether, yeah. whether happiness or sadness or fear or angst, you give nothing. And he's like, you'll, you'll work through You'll work through it on your side and, you know, you'll eventually get to the point where you just look at the interactions and you're like, you roll your eyes or cross your eyes or whatever, um, but yeah. give nothing. And that was probably the best advice that I, I ever received because it also shortened the time that it took for us to unwind ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause there was nothing to latch onto. There were no, no old circles, um, no dance. And I think that that's, that's the one thing that I wish for, for other people that have, you know, shared with me that they would love our platform to talk about, um, this, uh, conversation specifically, because there's so many people dealing with it and wanting the tools and support, but their emotions are so big and wide and deep. And it's very hard to get that perspective and pull yourself out of the situation, um, because you've, you've been deep in the, in the shadows of it. So I think that having that support system and understanding first that grief that I'm not going to change this person, um, and, and wrapping yourself up in in your own self-confidence and awareness is, is incredibly huge. And I had the support of a therapist and I know that you, you work with people. And I think it's so important that you find someone that has some type of professional insight, um, Mm. that provides you some guidance as well. Mm-hmm. 
And that professional insight is really, really good to help you kind of ground yourself back into your reality. Because dating a narcissistic person, they're going to take you so far apart your reality and into their own that it's going to make you feel like you're crazy. And it's going to make you walk on eggshells, right? The consequences that you were mentioning and just kind of like the, the, um, your, your energy towards him after he would give you consequences. To me, that sounded like walking on eggshells, right? Yeah. They do a really good job of conditioning you to stop asking questions, to stop expressing your feelings because you don't want to experience any consequences. So narcissists really create that environment and they're good at it. Tell me about gaslighting and, and, and walking on eggshells, because I know that we see them in memes. We, we, people kind of know what they are, but from your perspective in working with people, what what does that mean to you? Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation and it's actually very, very, very um, subtle, but it is a way for a person to make somebody doubt their reality, Mm -hmm. make somebody doubt their reality and to make somebody doubt their feelings, their instincts and themselves. So it can be something like, um, let's say you're in a relationship with somebody who's narcissist and they're cheating on you and you're, and then you say to them, I saw you at lunch with another woman, right? Gaslighting can look like, no, you didn't. That wasn't me. Maybe you're the one that's cheating, mm. right? So gaslighting is any kind of form of manipulation that distracts from the truth and gets you to start doubting yourself. And if you're not doubting yourself, you're definitely regretting that you even asked. For the walking on eggshells, is it primarily because you're afraid of response or reaction? You're you like there's always that whole kind of idea of consequences. There's going to be some type of um, is that kind of how you look at it from a therapeutic perspective? Yeah, that's 100 percent accurate. Um, it's, it's a fear of consequences. It's a fear of them getting upset with you. It's a fear of getting into another circular conversation. It's a fear of, let's say, the relationship. OK, we're getting along now. Here's this thing that that's really bothering me. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to bother them. So mm-hmm. it's this belief like you don't want them to blow up. It's this idea that you don't want them to blow up, so you're just tiptoeing around them. Because another thing with people who have true clinical narcissism is they also have something called narcissistic rage. And narcissistic rage is when they get so upset because you've exposed the truth about them. So then walking on eggshells is just not also not wanting to trigger any kind of rage from your partner. What a way to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you hear it like that, of course, you know, it's like, what a way to live. But then when you add everything else, right, the love, the history, the, the love bombing, then it feels very convoluted. If you just hear mm-hmm. facts as it is, any woman would say, I would never put myself through that, right? But when you right. add everything else, they're also charming people. Incredibly charming. Yeah. So much fun yeah. and they're a lot of fun and yeah. they're incredibly charming and you just love spending time yeah. with them until yeah. until it's you that they're not happy with. <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and a lot of them are really funny and there is a lot of them can be really successful or just there's so many good qualities, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Shallow. They're all shallow qualities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wanna so- like I, I know that we've um talked about before on the podcast is especially like if you're, if you're starting to date and, and being aware of love bombing, right. Being aware of the fact that if someone falls madly in love with you and is crazy about you straight off the bat to also just be aware of, of red flags. Like how would you, how would you kind of caution someone who is, is out there in the dating world um, to be aware of the difference between someone who's being genuine in their pursuit of you and someone who might be love bombing you. 
Oh, this is such a good question, actually. Um, so some signs of love bombing are when a person tries to move too fast too soon. They say things like, I've never felt this way before, probably in the first couple dates. Um, you're the first person I've ever told these things to in the first couple dates. Um, I've never slept this good before with somebody else. And they'll say that maybe like rather immediate. You just notice that things are so intense and so heightened very quickly. Yeah. Okay. So there are genuine people. They kind of messes it up for genuine people. There are genuine people who actually do feel like that. Um, on first dates, second dates, third dates, and they just know, you know, like, wow, I really do want to be with you. I really want to see this work. So the difference between somebody love bombing and a genuine person who is genuinely excited about you is a love bomber will then follow those comments up with neglect, emotional withholding, Mm -hmm. some sort of abusive and manipulative behavior. And the abuse doesn't have to be physical. It can be all of a sudden they're not returning your calls right away. All of a sudden, they're acting like they're too busy for you, or they get mad at you for not doing something right. And then you see an alternation between um, the, the high highs and the low lows, right? And so all of a sudden, let's say, like, oh, they love you so much, and then two weeks later, you're in your first fight, and the fight's really bad, right? Or if somebody who's genuine, you kind of, like, see a constant and consistent behavior that that can sustain itself over time. It's so funny because so I recognize... That, uh-huh. Well, and I recognize personally with yeah. my, my current partner, it was a slow burn. It, he was consistent, mm-hmm. right? And it was, there was yeah. no, it, and I had in the past enjoyed those incredible romantic gestures and the sweeping off, off of yeah. the feet and the, and thinking that it was exciting and there was incredible chemistry when what I realized <laughs> is the slow burn is highly underrated <laughs> because- so much. This person is proving to you over a span of time that they're going to be there and that they can be relied on. And I think that that's a retooling of the mindset, especially for someone who has concerns about being unworthy or not lovable to kind of take a step back and say, okay, but who am I choosing when I'm, I'm looking for a partner? Um, am I choosing someone who makes me feel these high highs, um, knowing that the other side of that could be, you know, really terrible. Or am I looking for someone who's going to show up and and show me security and safety in their emotional health? I think that that's so incredibly valuable to to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you you want that slow burn. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, there's that consistency. And I'm curious for you, because I know that you primarily work with people and enjoy working with people who um, have depression or anxiety or, or struggle. And I've, I've read quite a bit about your interest in, in human connection. How did you get into this field? What was the, what was the, the thread that brought you um, into a role as a, as a therapist? So ever since I was little, I've always been really interested in um, human connection and social services. I was born in the Philippines, and I came to this country when I was four, but I went back home to the Philippines every so often. And I kind of just saw, like, a discrepancy in the way that the social system was run here and back in the Philippines. And I always knew, like, one day I grew up, when I grew up, I want to do something to be of service to people and eventually go back home to the Philippines and help people there. So there was kind of, like, this social work aspect that really inspired me. And so... You know, I just want, I, I didn't know exactly what social work was. I just knew that social workers helped people. So I ended up getting my undergrad in social work and then my master's degree in social work. And my internships have all um, historically been very clinical. And so that's what led me into becoming a therapist, even though my general idea was to create programs 
organizations that help people on a larger scale. I mean, that's still something I would like to do one day, but I think that um, the clinical work helping people individually is just as impactful as creating something like a, um, like a big, like a, like an organization or a nonprofit or something. The, the idea of helping people really started from kind of just growing up and seeing the differences between how the two nations ran themselves and just like the different types of services that were offered to a first world country versus a third world country. It's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a, an amazing perspective. And one of the things I think is so valuable is, you know, as someone who's um, experienced therapy throughout the years, depending on the situations that I'm going through, um, the one-on-one is so valuable and so important, but I understand why uh, the call to help through programming for those who may not have the resources um, to find to find the individual counselors. Um, I'm, I'm curious, one of the questions that I ask everyone, especially because of the fact that you've had an experience with two different cultures and two different countries, um, what, if you were to look back um, at a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give her based on your life experience? I would tell her to not be afraid. I would let her know that there is nothing wrong with her. I would let her know that she is valuable and she is loved and to take as many risks um, that she wants. And I would I would really let her know that she doesn't have to play it safe. I would, I would give her a lot of encouragement um, and tell her it's okay. It's okay. She will survive in this world. I love that. I, it's so funny because sometimes I feel like the messages um, that people give their younger self are for me. <laughs> like when you're like, you don't, you don't have to play it safe. And I was like, thank you for that because I needed to hear it today. Um, so, and, and I, I adore that. I think we are always so reflective and nurturing when we look at our younger selves because of the experiences we've had. And sometimes I just wish that our future self would give us the same advice today. Um, because we, we have a tendency to kind of be in these siloed fear-based kind of like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to make this work? And, um, so I appreciate that so much. If you were to be transitioning from this life and wanted to leave behind some gold nuggets of wisdom or inspiration, what would they be? What would your legacy be? To help others, to have compassion, to practice non-judgment, to notice that um, you are a powerful person, you are worthy of all things, and to just stay connected, to stay connected to to this earth and, and to the people who are good to you. Mm. I love that. I love that because especially at this time, and I don't know where we will be when this interview airs, but of course we're dealing with COVID-19 mm-hmm. right now. And we've, I've never mm-hmm. seen the power of connection um, like That's I have so now. Mm-hmm. What's, your, what's your take on that? What's your experience watching how people are connecting basically, I mean, based on your desire to help through human connection? You know, I think it's really beautiful watching a lot of these nonprofit organizations step up. I'm from Los Angeles, so you're seeing a lot of community centers stay open and providing um, food to the people who who um, maybe aren't fortunate enough to be able to go to the grocery stores and stock up on things like other people. Um, it, you know, it just really, really warms my heart to see that there are so many people who are stepping up and who are really trying to help everybody in their community. It's just really mm-hmm. heartwarming. It's, it's, I, I think it's stuff we didn't see before. 
stuff that wasn't as um, put on display as before. Absolutely. And then to see people, and to see people just online and and um, advocating for you know people staying at home, and it's for it's really for humanity. It, it's really great to see. Yeah. No, I've been. That's one of the things that I have really appreciated that has come out of this is that it seems like. Um, in the beginning, it was nothing but fear-based posts, and there's still things like that. But what you're seeing mm-hmm. is an uprising of people who are trying to find perspective and offer each other hope and support. And I'm just like, see, the human spirit is alive and well. It's we mm-hmm. we desire connection. We desire um, the ability to uplift and inspire and support. And I just I that's the one thing out of all of this that I hope that we don't forget when it's all over. And I hope that we are empowered because of it. Um, so I just, I'm, I'm, I feel like it's such a blessing to watch how people are coming together and thank God for technology. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful yes, thing. Imagine, imagine if this is before cell phones, no. <laughs> what would we be doing? <laughs> no, exactly. Well, and I was like, if, if anything is going to go down, I mean, with the, the way that we are now connected and have the ability to continue life from our homes, I mean, this is mm-hmm. it's an amazing it's an amazing thing to to have access to and to experience. And I think there's going to be a lot of conversations about what the world should look like when we go back to whatever our new normal is going to be. Um, but I want to thank you so much for your time. I know that we're going to get lots of questions from this one, lots of lots of comments, because this is a, cop, a topic that's come up quite a bit. Um, so I want to thank you. If people want to follow you, where should they go? My Instagram is at Alyssa Marie Wellness. They can follow me on Instagram if they're on there. Yeah, and she has some amazing posts. So I was trolling your Instagram earlier. Um, I was like, oh, I love this. Oh, I love this. What are we going to talk about? So yeah, definitely (laughs) follow her on Instagram. And thanks so much, Alyssa. I really appreciated your your gold and for you being on the show and sharing your your thought leadership with us. Thank you, Jenna. I'm so glad to have been here. And I thought you asked really good questions. And I hope the information can help some women who are prepped probably struggling and on ambulance about the fence if they're in you know a relationship with a narcissistic person i think that questions you asked are super super helpful so thank you for having me of course thank you thank you so much for listening today i know that this may have been a tough episode to listen to especially if you love a narcissist know that you are lovable valuable and you will get through it take care of yourself first and i am personally sending you all kinds of love and strength As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. You can find me on Instagram at either ms.janetteschneider or the Live Movement at loveisviral.media or live at loveisviral.com. Get deep in the work with me to uncover your messaging before you pass it on to your children or the people you influence. Order my book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.